0: Good morning. We are in our last class of this uh, series of classes about life in the body, looking at how uh, we have a responsibility toward corporate unity, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, and we want to think today about evangelism. So let's begin with a word of prayer. And uh, we would start into the material. Lord, thank You for Your grace. Thank You that uh, someone reached us with the Gospel. And we pray that You'd help us to have a heart for souls like they had for us. And we pray that we would be uh, more concerned with the eternity of others than we are about our own personal comfort. And so we pray that You'd give us grace to understand uh, how You have designed for people to come to You and how we must trust in You and in the power of Your Spirit as He works through Your Word. Give us grace in this hour, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to John chapter 13. This is a verse that's quoted for you there on your handout or, or printed for you on the handout, but we'll look at it uh, there in, in the Scriptures. Christians today often see evangelism as either 100% individual responsibility, that is, I'm the one that's going to do the evangelism, or it's 100% the church's responsibility. On the one hand, we think of evangelism as the church's responsibility, and so my job in that process is getting people to come to church. So... I've done evangelism if I've invited someone to church and um and then what happens is those when we think that way as individuals within a corporate body, then as a church we start to um we start to modify how we do church based on what our we think our responsibility is if it's, if it's our primary responsibility to reach people as a church. Then we're going to uh, change the services so that they're more um, they're more directed at unbelievers, and there are loads of churches that do this sort of thing, and um, they they design their services around the needs and in, interests of non Christians. Um, and then on the other hand. in in part due to the sound rejection of that model. We're trying to get away from that sort of idea. There are others who think that the church has no role to play in evangelism except for post-evangelism. That is the training part. The church is there for the training, and so um, the church has no role in in bringing people to Christ. So there's a problem with both of these models, I hope you recognize. On the one hand, that the, the church is responsible for evangelism, uh, solely, we we can't manipulate or change our our church and what we do based on the interests of non-Christians because our church is designed primarily for the purpose of worship and for training believers. So our services are directed very much uh, or, or constructed very much that way around the the discipleship of believers, around fellowship, around the the truth of God's Word, we're not primarily concerned with um, whether an unbeliever is going to be happy in our service. That's not the primary goal. Now, that may be one of our goals, but that's not the primary goal. Uh, We can't turn our Sunday morning service into something that would interest non-Christians. We will wind up failing to grow and mature the church. And Willow Creek Community Church in Illinois found this out very clearly. They designed their church under the director the the leadership of Bill Hybels and um, and they designed their church around the interests and the needs of non-Christians. And what they when they did this, they um they started to grow exponentially in the number of people that would attend because it was all about the the person. They would call him the seeker. And so they would, they would go after these people, find out what they want, and give, the, give it to them in the service. You know, If they didn't want things that would make them feel uncomfortable, then they would remove those from the service. And so they, they grew numerically. But over time, what Bill Hybels admitted was that, that there wasn't a whole lot of depth to the people with, that were actually coming to Christ. And he, he admitted that there, there was um, a lot of breadth as far as the number of people, but there's no depth because people weren't understanding the truth of the Scripture. All of the services were directed and, and designed around the needs of unbelievers. And um, so, sadly, that story doesn't end very well because the the means by which Bill Hybels would change that is to take a survey like he did to, <laughs> in the beginning. Take a survey of the people. What is it that we need to do in order to make this better? Well that's not really the the way that we go We go to the scriptures what do the scriptures say and um, and and that way we can fulfill our responsibility both to evangelize as a church but our prime our, our greater responsibility is to train believers and to come together in worship and uh, so so that model is flawed the model that says that the church has the sole responsibility in evangelism. But the other bottle is also flawed, flawed that the church has no role in evangelism. Because the church is is a great tool that God uses for evangelism. Would someone read John 13:35? Okay. So Jesus says that it is a love that is among Christians that speaks uh, among Christians that speaks powerfully to those who are not Christians. Peter had a, uh, basically called the church in First Peter two nine a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and and the purpose of this group of people, this church, is to declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. See, Peter. Recognized what Jesus was saying that it is through this powerful witness of believers loving one another that many people come to Christ. Peter saw this in action in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 47. All the believers had everything in common, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In Acts 4 All the believers were in one heart and mind with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection. Of the Lord Jesus so these early Christians had a life together that became a a display of Christ's love for his people and a display of their love for one another and so number one the church is the grand witness of Christ to a watching world the church is a grand witness of Christ to a watching world and as Christians Inside these churches, we are called to live our lives together in such a way that it, that the world would witness the reign of God among a community of people who have been changed, who have been reborn. Christians, not just as individuals, but as God's people bound together in churches and in their love for one another, offers, I think, the clearest view to the watching world of who God is and what God desires. One of the most colorful early church scholars scholars was a man by the name of Tertullian from northern Africa. And he lived from 160 to 225. And he wrote uh, a work called Apology to Roman leaders to defend Christians against slanderous charges. And in it, he noted the unity of Christians saying, We are a body knit together as such by a common religious profession, by unity of discipline, and by the bond of a common hope. And then he noted the impact that that love had on unbelievers. He says, but it's mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say how they love one another. And people, when they're watching uh, the churches that Tertullian was a part of, would say, what, what a love they have for us, for, for each other. And so here's how God displays his greatness through a church he uses a congregational love within a loveless world and that will not be ignored by the watching world so this morning what role we want to see what role does the congregation play what role does the our corporate witness play in evangelism and how can we use it most effectively so we 'll begin first by looking at the advantages of congregational witnesses uh, of congregational witness, and then we 'll consider how we can apply these benefits and then we 'll kind of wrap up the whole series by looking at uh, some things some some key principles that we 've learned with regard to life in the body all right, so first, the unique power of congregational witness the unique power of congregational witness we want to begin um, by asking the question, what is it that we can do within our body as a church to further evangelism? What can we do to further evangelism? Practically, how does this happen? Let me give you five ways in which our life together, um, our life together, can further and empower evangelism. Number one: the display of unity among Christians is a powerful witness. The display of unity among Christians. Turn over to chapter 17, John chapter 17. A congregational witness enables unbelievers to see Christian Christian unity in a way that our personal evangelism does not. Um so this witness is going to be seen by the watching world. Look at chapter 17. Would someone read verses 20 through 23? Just keep in mind that this is Jesus praying to the Father. And he's, he's asking the Father to give them, the church, unity like he has within the Godhead, like they have within the Godhead. Look at verses 20 through 23. and someone read that? Alright, so Jesus is praying to, to God and we learn something as we listen in on His prayer. We learn that our unity actually plays a powerful part, a, an important part to the, the testimony uh, that we have the, to the watching world. Verse 23, "...and that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that You sent Me." Somehow, as they see our unity... As believers, they somehow are able to find out, obviously this happens, It has to happen through propositional truth, but it's more than propositional truth. It happens through action as well, and that action is our unity. They find out about who Christ is, that He is one with the Father, that He has been sent by the Father. And the type of unity that Christ desires for us is the same type of unity that is in the Godhead. He says, verse 21, that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So the same sort of unity that there is where the Father lovingly leads and the Son lovingly follows His Father and enjoys the pleasures of being in this relationship, this is the type of thing that God, that Christ desires for our church and prays for our church. A display of um, unity is a powerful witness to the watching world. In a world where there are great difficulties, wars and conflict and and uh, things, the supernatural unity in the church bears great witness to the power of the gospel in a marvelously God-glorifying manner. It's easy for someone to dismiss an individual. Perhaps you've experienced this where you go and you share the gospel with somebody and they quickly dismiss you. But it's harder for them to dismiss a whole group of people who are unified around one common goal, and that is to praise and glorify God with their lips and with their lives. And so this natural implication that we get from this is that, that we need to pursue unity in the body because this is an important part of our evangelism. Um, all right, number two. The display of love. First, the display of unity. Second, the display of love among Christians is a powerful witness. Jesus said in John thirteen thirty-five. again on the front of your handout, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When Christians love each other, it makes God look good because it's a reflection of how God has loved us in Christ. And so this is really a reflection of our good deeds that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5. He says, Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so these good deeds are actually showing love toward one another. So when you... When you uh, express your love to someone within this church, that is, when you do something sometimes that is hard or maybe something that's uncomfortable, uh, loving someone that that maybe you're not just naturally inclined to love, that actually is displaying your good deeds and the good deeds of this church so that God can be glorified when people are watching. What might this look like? It may be... Helping out with a public event at our church, like the VBS parents' meeting, the last meeting that we have. Believers coming together and caring for these kids and interacting with parents. It might be uh, coming together and, and helping provide for uh, at a funeral or a wedding. It may be simply showing care and concern for visitors who come to church. It may be going to visit someone in the hospital or going to someone's house, someone who's sick, or someone who just had a baby. Do you think unbelievers ever find out about these things? Obviously, we're not going to trumpeting around all that we're doing. Hey, look what I did. But when we do these things, don't you think that the unbelievers find out about these things? When you think of the role of love in the life of church members, this is an important connection to keep in mind, that our ultimate goal is not to present ourselves as something that we're not, but it is to glorify God and, 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 and to commend the gospel to other people. And you know what? The gospel is actually powerful for salvation, and it has a changing effect on our lives as displayed in this love that is what I would call otherworldly. It's, it's really out-of-this-world kind of love. Alright, so the display of unity and then the display of love. Three more here. Any questions before we get to number three? Or comments? Alright, as a church, number three, we help each other witness. Another great advantage of evangelism within the context of a congregation is that we help each other witness. Our evangelism as a church is more powerful than our evangelism as an individual. Because within our church, various members have different gifts. They are, uh, you know, one person may be good at initiating conversation with regard to spiritual things, and another person might be really good at explaining the gospel message. Another person might be uh, gifted in in uh, making a non-believer feel at ease in that conversation, not threatened in in a in a bad way. Obviously, when you talk about the gospel, it's going to be a stumbling block, but but there's a there there's just you know there's some personalities some people who just have that gift of making unbelievers feel at ease and so we need each other to help support this gospel message that we've been proclaiming to this individual that we know and now when we come within the setting of a of a local church we can we can work together so are you beating yourself up over the fact that you can't do all of those things very well, maybe you're not good at initiating or not explaining the gospel very well, you're not good at making them feel at ease, they always feel um, offended and, and threatened. Well, then perhaps you should be teaming up with other Christians who, who um, have gifts in those areas. Typically, typically, when a person comes to Christ, I mean, just think about your own salvation experience, when a person comes to Christ, it doesn't usually happen through the testimony of one person, does it? It typically happens through the testimony of multiple people, through the encouragement and the challenging, the exhortation of multiple people, other believers who who are concerned for a person's soul. And so, wouldn't it do us well to allow that unbeliever to whom we are witnessing to come Within the context of a local church and and um and benefit from these relationships now this does not remove your responsibility to 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 make contact with these people and boldly go after these people f- for the sake of the gospel but but just recognize that what happens from there from the time that you make that contact and seek to bring them into a place where they are underneath the sound of the gospel, there are many different ways it can go based on the various gifts within our body. All right, So we can help each other witness and we would do well to to bring them within the context of the local church. And when I say that, it doesn't necessarily mean within the walls of this church. And we'll talk about that uh, later. could include just uh, having believer and an unbeliever over at your house at the same time or something like that. Or whatever you normally do with the unbeliever, invite a believer to it, another believer, so that there's more opportunities there for them to hear and to see Christians um, showing love to one another and testifying to the same God. Number four, a a corporate witness glorifies God in a unique way. It glorifies God in a unique way. God is uniquely glorified when we bear witness to Him together. Psalm 96, verses 3 and 4 say, Declare His glory among the heathen and His wonders among all peoples, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. An assembly of believers can speak much more loudly and much more clearly than an individual believer can speak. Um, They can testify as a whole to God's greatness. So let's say you're at a, a dinner with a group of Christians from the church, and there are one or two non Christians in the group. Then the opportunity arises for, for one of you to begin sharing about how you came to Christ. One comes through some pretty spectacular circumstances that is, through a, you know, some, came from a rough background and God saved you. And then someone else comes to Christ having been raised up in in the church and hearing the Gospel over and over again and maybe got saved at a young age. Here, God is showing His greatness in the manifold the the variety of ways in which people come to Christ. And God is glorified through this. And so, one of the practical ways that you can do this, testify to God's uh, greatness and His varied ways of working, is to just include believers into your life, include believers into your life. How do you normally interact with unbelievers, in what kind of settings? Well, would, wouldn't it do you well to bring in a few other believers than your immediate family? Wouldn't it do you well to to invite them into your life? So maybe it's a time of recreation, maybe it's you know watching a game, whatever it is. Um, it would do us well to to use these opportunities to show God's glory in that way. Number five, Christians work together through the church for global missions. The last way is that that we can advance the gospel around the world in a way that individuals cannot. In a local church, Christians can pull their wisdom and experience and financial support and prayers and callings and direct them all to a common purpose to make God's name known among the nations. This involves praying and planning as a body, and, and, it, and it results in the gospel being spread around the world. And so as a church, we just do this very simply. We advance evangelism in other parts of the world through sending missionaries out, helping to encourage them, and to um, to see how we can help uh, in any way that we can. By the way, there, are, there is a um, there is a sign-up sheet for the Cuthbertsons. If you'd like to help out by sending some things to the Ivory Coast with the missions team, then there is a, a huge list of things in, in that you can provide. We're going to fill up our suitcases to the to the max, and um, so anything that you can provide that'd be great. There are several on the top that need to be signed up for so that we don't get more than we need. And then on the bottom, there's a bunch that we'll just take as many as you're willing to give. All right, so those, there's a sign-up sheet out there, and then you can take a handout with you as well. They're off to the side on the, on the table. Just one of the ways that we can encourage our missionaries and give them some luxury items that they don't normally enjoy over there. All right, any questions on, um, on the unique power of congregational witness? You see how that can be helpful? You buy it, okay? Alright, next, how can we be better at this? How can we be better at congregational witness? If God has made us stewards of the wonderful blessings that we have, the blessing of unity and the blessing of love, then how can we be good stewards of that unity and love and use it to, to reach unbelievers with the gospel? Let me just give you a couple of thoughts. First, expose non-Christians to our life as a church. Expose non-Christians to our lives as a church. The most natural place to begin is with the irregular assemblies that we have as a church where non-Christians can be att- attending. So here's some questions we, th- we should think about. Before we go to ask them, what might an unbeliever see on Sunday morning or Sunday evening that would be helpful for them to see? Do they see Christians that have an evident love and care for one another? Do they see church members who are quick, who, who are quick to greet them and to express interest in them? Um, or do they see church members that are more concerned about themselves and getting in, getting out as quickly as possible? Um kind of a drive-through type church service. Is that kind of how our members treat it? I'm thankful that our church is friendly to one another and to visitors, and we should continue to do that. But there's always room for the, for improvement, isn't there? Sometimes we hear about people who come and they don't feel welcomed. And so we should make it a goal that maybe even after the service today, for both members and non-members, if you see a, an, uh, someone who's kind of standing by themselves and they don't seem to really know anyone or they're not very good at striking up conversations, maybe that would be a good opportunity for you to strike up a conversation with them and show interest in them. And with, and in doing that, you'll be welcome, welcoming them with Christ's love. Another thing to do is to invite non-Christians and co-workers to church and plan ahead strategically to make good use of this. So, if you invite someone to come to our church to a specific service, then call some people in advance or, or send them a text and tell them, can you be praying this Sunday? My coworker or my family member is coming to church. Could you please pray? And, and would, you, would you just introduce yourself to them when they come? Um, it would just be a great way for, for the Spirit to be working in advance of, of um, the person actually coming. Maybe even plan to go out to lunch afterwards with some other believers. Say, you know, listen, can you just mark off this Sunday? I'm planning to have an unbeliever come to the service and I'd like to talk about the service at lunch with them, but I think it would be better if there was another believer there with me. And I'm sure that any number of people from our church would be happy to do that. Expe- yeah, especially if uh, yeah, if you buy. All right. All right. So, free lunch from Paul, I think that's what he's saying okay all right so involve involve unbelievers in the life of our church. Sometimes it's really hard. you know how that goes. Unbelievers are scared of coming into a church service because they think they don't know what goes on in there, you know, and so. That's understandable. There's lots of other events and activities that we can invite them to that are less confrontational, that are less uh, scary for them. And so that's fine. Um, they don't have to see our worship services necessarily, but when they do, they should be able to see God's love at work, God's power in our unity at work as we do it. We don't have to put on a show necessarily um, or at all. We should just be who we are, Right? So expose non-Christians to our life as a church and then talk to them about our life as a church. Because of the difficulty of getting people to come to a church event because of their schedule or location or because of their fears um, or maybe they're just not interested. Well, then what can we use with regard to our life as a church that would help in our conversations with them? I heard one uh, pastor say that we are natural evangelists for the things that we love. We're natural natural evangelists for the things that we love. Isn't that true? That the things that we love the most, whether it be sports or knitting or children or grandchildren or you know vacationing or houses or cars, we tend to just tell people about them, don't we? The things that we love most, we just can't help but tell other people about them. And this is what we should be doing about our church and about God's work in our church. It should just be naturally coming off of our tongue. We shouldn't have to uh, try to, you know, I really need to say something about the church today to my unbelieving coworker. We're natural evangelists for the things that we love. And so our church, uh, the things that are going on within our church should just naturally come up in conversation. When people are talking about their weekend, then we should reciprocate by talking about our weekend. And what kind of things happened in our church? So think of ways, and this is not going to just come to you. It's going to take some work. But think of some ways in which you can use your relationships with unbelievers to talk about your love for Christ and His church. Well, there are many more ways that we can involve other people, unbelievers, and what goes on in our life in the church. One is by just seeing them attend and then talking to them about that. And then one, the other is just by talking to them specifically. And, um, and obviously, we can't ignore the fact that this all needs to be bathed in prayer, that God has to be the one who's working. All of our efforts are vain, right? If we don't pray and depend upon God for Him to work, for the Spirit to actually change people's hearts. And so we ought to be praying and enlisting other people to pray for us for specific opportunities uh, with regard to the gospel. All right, any questions on evangelism? Because we're going to kind of wrap up the whole class for the rest of the time unless you have a question or a comment. Bill. I invited a young man to church yesterday for the first time. He said, call me on I got to Good. Yeah, yeah. Jesus says, without me you can do nothing. So, I mean, we need Christ. Uh, don't give up on that guy, though. You know, you never know. He maybe just needs a couple. Okay. Yeah, he just needs his, uh, I mean, not, I don't know of any one of us. Perhaps maybe you did come on the first time that you heard, but most people don't come the first time that they're invited or the first time that they hear the Gospel. So it takes persistence on our part to keep going after him. And um, what's his name? David somebody we can be praying for as a church Yeah Yep Yep All right so there's lots of options there for how we can um how we can include unbelievers in the process of evangelism Okay, people generally get saved. Now, obviously, God works in various ways. You know, the woman at the well got saved the first time she heard just from Jesus talking to her. Uh, you know, we have lots of different ways that people come to Christ. But but if you look throughout the New Testament, it seems to be that the the testimony of the local church of its unity and its love is a powerful expression of God's glory and will bring people to Christ. All right? All right. Well, as we end this series, let me conclude by offering some reflections on the church and on our lives together as a church. This class has been about living together as a church, how we can promote unity that that, um, works in such a way that it protects our doctrine and safeguards holiness and displays God's wisdom and encourages and exhorts and teaches and promotes evangelism and communicates the character of our loving God to the watching world. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says that his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's desire is for the watching world to see his glory but also the angels and principalities the even the demons are watching how we we are living together as a church, and so our responsibility is is a great one. But we can be encouraged that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against us. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus promises. Because Christ's mission is to display to all of the world and to the watching angelic beings the remarkable wisdom of God. That from the beginning of time, God determined that Jew and Gentile would come together and, um, and be united by one common uh, event, really, which is the death of the crucified Messiah and His resurrection. And one day, the whole world will bow before God in worship and praise. On that, on that day, every eye will see Him. They will see Him robed in majesty, the one who is called faithful and true. But we're not there yet. And so for now, God in His wisdom left us the task of displaying His glory to display His perfect character through an imperfect church. A church made up of imperfect people. And the question of how that can happen has been the focus of this class. How can God use a group of imperfect people to display His perfect glory. And our goal has been to understand our responsibilities with regard to our membership as this church and as Christ's greater church. And we've seen that our unity together as Christians in the local church acts as a compelling testimony to the gospel uh, to those who are watching. And so we need to guard our own lives and we need to guard our corporate our corporate witness for Christ. We need to guard the doctrines of Scripture. We need to safeguard holiness and advance evangelism. This kind of unity that God calls for and that God uses to, to display His glory is the kind of unity that is around one thing, and that is the Gospel. It's a unity that's so powerful that it can only come from the hand of God. And so this unity is our responsibility. It's the church together that has been gifted by the Spirit. It's the church together who's called to be completely humble and gentle, keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Not just one person doing it really well or a couple of people doing it well. It's the church as a whole. So how can we exercise a responsibility to preserve unity within this church? And so let me highlight two points as we close. Number one, Preserve the gospel message. Preserve unity by preserving the gospel message. Unity is no good if we do it at any cost. We're not talking about unity at any cost. That's not what God is calling for. It's unity that is around the gospel. And so we have to make sure that the teaching and preaching here at our church is true to the Scripture. That's partly my responsibility. I would say mainly my responsibility. But it's partly your responsibility as well. That you have to make sure that what I'm teaching and preaching is true. Remember when error slipped into the church's teaching, the apostles didn't go after the preachers by name. They went after the church. They blamed the congregation. Most of the letters of the New Testament are written to The church as a whole, not the individual pastors, and so we have a job as a congregation to guard the gospel message, to preserve it, to make sure that it is sound and true. Number two, love each other. Our unity is further is is advanced by a sincere love for one another. There's so much we can say about this that the you know, because Christ has loved us so deeply and so greatly, we should happily and easily be able to love one another in a selfless, sacrificial way. Uh, you know, First Corinthians 13 talks about love. Verses 4 through 7 says, "Love is patient; it's kind. It does not envy; it does not boast; it's not proud; it's not rude; it's not self-seeking; it's not easily angered; it keeps no record of wrongs." It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is love. This is what God is calling for, for us. So, Christians, love in this way. Love those who are different from you. Love through your service. Love through your prayers. Love through your encouragement and your admonishment. Love through your patience and forbearance and your humility. Love by discipling and teaching other people who are newer Christians than you. Love by being present at the various church services. Love by being at specific events so that you can interact with unbelievers and with believers alike. Love by using your spiritual gifts. Love by clothing yourselves with kindness and compassion and warmth and generosity. This kind of love as the kind of love that bears witness to the gospel and displays God's greatness. Now, most of us are aware of how great a love that Christ has shown to us. And so this love comes not always naturally, not always easy, but but it comes. And because that's the power that God has to change us. That as we continue to reflect on the Gospel, we don't just reflect on it once when we come to Christ, but we continue to reflect on the Gospel, it reminds us of Christ's love for us. When we have the Lord's Supper every month, it reminds us of Christ's love for us. And that should work in our hearts to, to motivate us to love other people. Human history began in a garden with the fellowship of a husband and a wife, but it will culminate in a city An eternal society of light in which God Himself is personally present. Where the fellowship of Eden will be restored. Where the number of inhabitants will be multiplied many times over. And we will have the intimate fellowship with God that we long for. The garden has given way to a city. Faith gives way to sight. God's glorified is magnified in our eternal love for one another, but most importantly, the loving relationship that we have between ourselves and God. The church in today's uh, in today's society presents this glimmering picture, a glowing picture, a, a, a glimpse, an idea of what it will be like in that day. That unified love that we have for one another and for God. And that's our calling to... Pres- persevere in this kind of love and to praise God as we do so. Let me just point your attention to the passage on the bottom of your handout on the back. And we're going to read this together. And um, this is a this is from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 encouraging the church here. And we'll just uh, finish with this as we consider our responsibility. All right, let's read this together out loud. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So, in God's power, let's walk worthy of our calling, complete, in complete humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for this reminder that we've had in this series of classes that helps us to think more carefully about how you have structured the church and how you've designed it to be a um, benefit to us individually and to us corporately and a benefit to yourself by magnifying your great glory. Lord, help us to grow in unity with one another and to preserve the unity that the Spirit has produced in us. And help us to grow in love as well. Help us to consider specific ways in which we can reach the unbelievers that we already have contact with and to introduce them to the life of our church, either through a visit or through through having other believers over our house or or um, just talking about what's going on here. Lord, give us grace and wisdom as we do this. May we be less uh, less concerned about being seen and more concerned with actually doing and then seeing the results come from You. May we trust in Your Spirit throughout the whole process, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.